In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Let us pray. Blessed Lord, you have caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant that we may so hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear beloved in Christ Jesus, our Lord, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus. Amen. The prayer we just heard, that we just prayed, and uh, the verse from the very simple children's song that, that we heard before that really expressed the same thing. The Bible, that is, Holy Scripture, is God's Word. God caused His Word to be written by inspiring the human authors to write what He wanted them to write and what He wanted us to learn. The Bible teaches us that Jesus loves us and that we belong to him. If Jesus loves us, as the Bible says he does, and if we belong to him, as the Bible says we do, then we have a blessed hope of eternal life. And having this hope makes us very blessed, even now, while we live this earthly life. For now we live by faith in what we cannot see, until we see it, therefore, that is, while we live on earth, we need patience in our waiting and comfort in our sorrow. We are weak, but Jesus is strong. His strength is found chiefly in showing mercy. We have sins and temptations and heartache and failure and fear. Jesus has none of these. But he takes all of ours upon himself. He tells us to he tells us so. And so we abide in his word. That means we treat his word like a home. And we are his disciples. The truth he speaks makes us free children of God with a future inheritance. The word of God that gives us hope and that promises heaven to those who believe in Jesus is the same word of God that gives us patience and comfort. This is what it means to be a disciple. We study God's word and we learn it. We repeat it and are happy to hear the same things again even though we think we already know it. This is what it means to mark it. It means we take note in our mind and we take it to heart. We inwardly digest it. We live off of it like food. This is how we embrace the simple truth that our children learn to sing. Jesus loves me. How do you know? The Bible tells me so. It's so simple. 
Listen to how Luther teaches the very same thing in his small catechism, which all of your kids learn by heart here at Trinity Lutheran School. It's a little more involved than the simple children's song, but it teaches the same thing. Jesus loves me. I believe that Jesus Christ, true God, begotten of the Father from eternity and also true man, born of the Virgin Mary, is my Lord, who has redeemed me, a lost and condemned creature. And then he explains what it means to be redeemed. Purchased and won me from all sins, from death and from the power of the devil, not with gold or silver, but with his holy, precious blood and with his innocent suffering and death, that I may be his own and live under him in his kingdom and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness, even as he is risen from the dead, lives and reigns to all eternity. This is most certainly true. And it is most certainly true. It is most certainly true because it is what the Bible teaches us. This is our theme this evening. This is the theme of the Reformation. This is the theme of our curriculum here at Trinity Lutheran School. What does the Bible teach us? It is all about what the Bible teaches us. It is all about what it means for Jesus to love us. When we say that the article of justification by grace alone through faith is the central article of the Christian religion, we're saying nothing more than that this great truth is the central message of the Bible. Jesus loves me. This is what it means for Jesus to love us. It's all about what we know, that how we know it, and what he has done in love to save us. It's all about how we are to exercise our faith in this truth until we finally are granted to see with our own eyes. The more we learn, the simpler it becomes. And that's a guarantee for you children who still struggle with learning. The more you learn, the simpler it becomes, and the more firmly grounded you remain on this simple truth. Jesus loves you. Every year, we celebrate the Lutheran Reformation on or as close as we can get to October 31st. We know this date now as Halloween. But Halloween is just an old word for Hallow's Eve, which is the night before All Hallow's Day. These days we call it All Saints Day, and in the Lutheran Church, we still celebrate it the week after we celebrate the Reformation. To hallow something is to sanctify it. A hallowed person is a holy person, or a saint. These words all mean the same thing. In order to become holy, if you are not already a saint, it makes some sort of sense that you need to associate with holy things. And what holier things can one find than the holy things of the holy people, the saints? who have gone before us, who have already made it to heaven. This was the prevailing line of reasoning in Luther's day. 
And even if we find such superstition distasteful and archaic, we can at least see some sort of rhyme and reason to it, can't we? Holy people are blessed by God. Sinful people are cursed. In the quest to stand holy before God and to become free from sin, it seems wise to accept any help you can get. The pagan practice in the medieval church of collecting bones and tufts of hair and pieces of clothing of the various saints throughout the ages has a certain spooky element to it, doesn't it? Very Halloween-y. These things are known as relics. Relics are supposed to help people become holy by bringing them into close contact with the things that belonged to holy people. The word the Germans used for relic was, it's the last German word you have to hear tonight, Heiligtum, or holy thing. This is what Martin Luther wrote on this topic, in which he makes a clever pun on this word for holy thing, which meant a relic. God's word, he writes, is the true holy thing, the true relic, above all holy things. Yes, it is the one, the only one we Christians know and have, God's word. Though we have the bones of all the saints or all holy and consecrated garments upon a heap, still that would not help us at all. All that stuff is a dead thing that can sanctify no one. But God's word is the treasure that sanctifies everything. By the word, even all the saints themselves were sanctified. Whenever God's word is taught, preached, heard, read, or meditated upon, then the person, day, and work are sanctified. This is not because of the outward work, but because of the word, which makes saints of us all. So far, Martin Luther. The reason we celebrate the Reformation on October 31st or nearby is because that is when Martin Luther inadvertently started it. What he wanted to do was start a public debate on the sale of indulgences. An indulgence was really just an official church receipt that one had properly confessed his sins and made up for them and was on his way to becoming holy enough for heaven. That's the short end of it. That's a, an indulgence. And one way to make up for your sins and to get this receipt was to pay money, either in large sums for the indulgence itself or else to pay money in order to be permitted to stand close to or catch a glimpse of a relic, a finger bone of St. Peter, perhaps, whose hell holiness would help you become holy, or maybe a shard of alabaster from Mary Magdalene's flask of costly oil. These are surely holy people. Charging folks money to come close to such holy things made the church a fortune, and these people wanted to become holy anyway. It's a win-win. And since the church was raising funds to build a great big new church in Rome, such means of bringing in cash was pretty important. But the young monk, Martin Luther, thought something else was more important. On All Saints Day, 
Great collections of relics were scheduled to be put on display for the locals in Wittenberg, where Martin Luther lived, so that they could spend money to see it. Luther took this occasion to start a debate about how much more important the Holy Bible was than holy relics. He thought it was more important for people to come into contact with God's word than to come into contact with old and useless relics. So he chose his timing well. It was shrewd of him. People would be gathered. Indulgences and relics were on everyone's mind. And what the young monk did on the eve of All Hallows' Day in 1517 started an open debate more significant than he could have hoped for. But thank God. In time, however, as Luther defended his concerns with more and more passages from Scripture, as he opposed the authority of those promising salvation through indulgences with the authority of Holy Scripture, he was eventually excommunicated. We got into this last year, and this made him a public outlaw. Who would defend him? In an ironic twist of history, and showcasing a truly beautiful story of repentance and conversion and the power of God's word, who was it but the powerful ruler of Saxony, Elector Frederick the Wise, who protected Luther? Frederick was, a, was famous for having the largest collection of relics in the world, more than 15,000. It was this mighty ruler who, in order to protect Martin Luther, kidnapped him and hid him safely in the Wartburg Castle so that no one could hurt him and bring an end to the much-needed reformation and preaching of the gospel. It truly is beautiful and encouraging how Luther was not ashamed to speak of God's testimonies before kings, and how, although the pope and emperor wanted him snuffed out, yet this particular king, Frederick the Wise, of whom Luther was not afraid or ashamed, who had every reason to be upset by how Luther insulted the silliness of his silly idol or relics, that he of all kings who had been so very proud of his relics ended up being persuaded by God's word and protected Luther from harm. What convinced this great ruler to trust Holy Scripture more than holy relics was the simple truth that holy relics couldn't teach him what the Bible could, that Jesus loved him. As we read in the Bible, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. It was 500 years ago in the year 1522 that the coast was clear enough, as it were, for Luther to return from his hiding place in the Wartburg Castle, where Frederick had hidden him. And what had he done while cooped up before he could begin in earnest his reforming activities and preach and teach? 
and help the gospel spread. What was he doing with all of his time? Well, he certainly made good use of it. On September 21st, 1522, Luther published the first fruits of his labor, a translation of the New Testament in German for the people whom God had called him to serve. It was a labor of love. It was a labor of necessity. If the people who trusted in superstition were to be persuaded by God's word, they needed to be able to hear God's word in their own language. And so they did. It was a watershed of the Reformation and established the true source of authority for the whole church. The Reformation was not a movement merely among the intelligentsia and nobles and learned scholars. No, it was a reformation of mind and heart of the common people, of children, who heard the simple truth that we began with this evening, that Jesus loves them, that the Bible says so, that all scripture was written to teach this to them, so that they might know it better. All the law and the prophets give testimony to this, to the righteousness of Christ, which we have by faith and not by works. Herein we know the love of God toward us. This is what Jesus teaches us too. Abide in my word. You will know the truth. He who sins is a slave of sin, but the Son sets you free. The eternal Son of God becomes true man. He lives a holy life. He is perfectly obedient and righteous. He dies for you. He turns away God's wrath. That's what propitiate means. He is perfectly patient and willing, and he rises again. He is free from death. He buries your sin. He sets you free by giving you peace with God the Father who sees your sin no more. He whose patience saves you is he who gives you patience. He who was only finally comforted when he rose victorious from our grave, rose victorious from our grave to comfort you. And he does both by means of his holy word. He teaches us what is written for us to learn. What we learn from the Bible is what Jesus wants us to know. The Bible teaches us to know his love better and to trust in Jesus more. And while we live as Christian children of God, we are never done learning. God's love is too great for us to quit. It is our great privilege and honor, therefore, to see your children learn it Though often difficult, it is never irrelevant. Today, we use the word relic to describe something that is really old, maybe something no longer very useful or practical, don't we? And it is sad to report that another unfortunate pun might therefore be made, for this is how the Word of God, the Bible, Holy Scripture is so often treated. This is how they treated God's word when they took offense at Jesus, who came as the Savior in fulfillment of the promise he once made to Abraham. 
They treated the Bible like a list of rules to help sinners become saints, and they boasted in their flesh. They treated the Bible like an old, out-of-date technical thing rather than as the great message of God to us poor sinners who need to learn of his love for us in Christ his Son. They thought by simply associating with the oracles of God that they would be blessed, but they were wrong. So many suppose that merely by being near church, holding membership, being associated with it somehow, maybe following rules and principles, or perhaps just quoting it here and there, that this fulfills the Bible's purpose for our lives. Do not fall into this superstition. We know the purpose of this relic, this old book, God's holy scriptures. We know that its purpose is far greater than this. It is greater than any charm or talisman, greater than a guide to a successful life. It is more. It is the great revealing of the mind and heart of God toward us who sent his Son to set us free. He gives us his righteousness in the dearly bought but freely given forgiveness of all our sins. This is no superstition. This is the truth. We abide in his house forever by abiding in his word. We learn the truth, the greatest truth of God's love for us, its height and depth and length and breadth, the love that passes knowledge. And yet it was written for our learning that we might know it as we are taught by God how he makes us, by his blood, holy saints. Brothers and sisters, it really always remains so simple. Jesus loves me, he who died, heaven's gates to open wide. He has washed away my sin, let God's children all come in. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. How do you know? The Bible tells me so. Amen.